0: Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. I'm excited uh, to kick off this series today that's going to lead us right into Christmas. Um, As Sarah mentioned, as you just saw in the video, we're calling it BC, uh, which for us is standing for before Christmas. And um, Sarah mentioned it a couple of times. We talk about it a lot around here, but at Story, everything that we try and do is guided and directed towards our mission, which is kind of a broad mission. But the way that we say it is that we exist to connect people's story to God's story. So whatever is going on in your story, wherever you're at, Uh, as it relates to faith or just life in general. We're trying to help you connect that to what God is up to in the world. And uh, for this series that we're jumping into, I would say this is a series that's kind of about the story of God. It's almost like a little bit of backstory to the main story, especially as it relates to the Christmas season, because what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, some of what God did, as it's recorded in the Old Testament, uh, in some of the stories before Jesus was born. And, and we're going to look at how those promises that God made to people back then actually ended up being fulfilled in Jesus and his arrival at Christmas. And you may be like, cool, Eric, that sounds nerdy and not super applicable to my life. But the reason that I hope that I'm, you're wrong if you're feeling that right now. The reason I hope that it's true is uh, because when we like understand what God did back then, it can actually help us understand what God is up to right now understanding the promises that God made to those people back then can help us understand the power of Christmas as we head into this season together. But I think more importantly, as it relates to our faith, like your faith and my faith right here and right now, it's when we look back, whether it's in your own life or whether it's through scripture, when we look back and we see how God was faithful back then, it can help us trust that he'll be faithful now. So whatever you're going through, I hope that as we look at these different promises God made, as we look at Uh, these different predictions that he made that are fulfilled in Jesus, Uh, I hope that it helps you grow in your faith and it helps you trust God in the midst of whatever circumstance you find yourself in. Uh, But to set up where we're going today, we're going to start out a little tension filled, okay? So it's going to get a little dark for a second and then we'll bring it back uh, to the light. But I want you to just take a second with me and if you could imagine for a second, uh, imagine what it might feel like if you were living and your world was turned upside down because your country was going to war and not like in the traditional American sense of going to war where like we send people way out over there and it's always just kind of going on in some capacity one way or another. Uh, but I mean like imagine what it would feel like if war showed up on your doorstep. Like Peru, Indiana becomes this war zone and, and there's this conflict here and our sense of security and safety is upended and everything that we think we know about life as we know it is suddenly disrupted. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Uh, for many of us, if you pay attention to the news, right, it's not that distant because we've been hearing about the conflict going on for the past couple of months uh, in Israel and Palestine. And we haven't talked about that a lot around here. I try and like fly us above the political fray as much as possible, but regardless of your opinion on that conflict, it, I think all of us can agree that terrible things are happening in, in that area in the world and we should pray for peace in that area. We should pray uh, for God to show up. But for many of them, right? All of a sudden life was turned upside down once again. And can you imagine what that would be like if that was happening here? And so imagine war shows up right here in Peru, Indiana. Life is disrupted. Imagine it goes on for maybe three years, four years. And then imagine you get the news one day that the conflict has ended. Right? You, you get the news one day that life is going to go back to normal or at least some version of normal moving forward. How would you feel then? Many of us, most of us, uh, have never actually experienced combat up close like that. Uh, For those who have, I mean, we're grateful for your service. Uh, But many of us, I think, could imagine what it might feel like to be that close to that kind of disruption and then to feel it end, to feel the joy or the release uh, of victory or freedom. Uh, For me, I was thinking about it and I was reminded of some of the images that were captured at the end of World War II. Uh, Maybe you've seen some of these before just in textbooks or whatever. Uh, Remember when we had textbooks? Do you still use textbooks? Younger people than me? Not really? Okay, well, There you go. But uh, at the end of World War II, this is what was happening on Victory in Europe Day. That's uh, Times Square right there. I mean, look at people just packing the streets to celebrate that this terrible conflict that had been going on and had been impacting all of their lives suddenly was over. There's people hanging out of trucks driving down the street. It's a huge celebration. Uh, The Daily Mirror, which was a paper in the UK at the time, said that on this day, people were so delirious with joy, they hardly knew what to do with themselves. It was this huge celebration. And and we've probably all seen the iconic photo uh, from Victory in Japan Day, also in Times Square, uh, where this sailor is kissing this girl. Hopefully he knew her. I don't know. (laughs) If not, it just kind of captures the joy of that moment. And Life Magazine is uh, the publication that made this photo famous. And Life uh, on that day wrote this, they said Americans celebrated on that day as if joy had been rationed and saved up for three years, eight months, and seven days since Sunday, December 7th, 1941. It it was this huge celebration, right? The conflict was over. And so why do I bring all of that up today? Why did we go through that kind of uncomfortable and pleasant exercise? The the reason is, I think it reveals in all of us that at our core, all of us long for peace. At our core, all of us want to be at peace in the world that we live in. I mean certainly at like a geopolitical conflict scale but like also just in real everyday life. All of us have this longing for peace and yet unfortunately many of us are very very familiar with conflict and maybe this season right as we're decking the halls and we're holly jolly and we're getting excited maybe there's also some conflict at your table like maybe the conflict is so close to home it's under your own roof And you have conflict with family members that seems like no matter what you do, it just keeps bubbling up and you're having the same fights every night or every other night because it's like it blows up and then it cools down and then it blows up again and on and on it goes. Uh, Maybe there's conflict at work, some kind of uncertainty. I mean, things certainly still feel a little unstable in our world, right? Maybe it's the question of if your business is going to make it. Maybe it's the question of if you're going to have a job after this season. Uh, There's just conflict that can show up. If you have little kids around, it's just like they're conflict machines, right? Because it's just chaos everywhere and you, you have no peace and quiet because there's just activity. Even if it's good activity, it can create this conflict in us. I, I think all of us have this longing for peace and, and all of us have a longing for justice. I've been experiencing this with my daughter recently because her newest tactic to argue with me is to pull out the old, well, that's not fair card. <laughs> and I'm like, fair ended at the Garden of Eden. Like, sorry, daughter, but... <laughs> But anyway, all of us have that longing for justice. In fact, one of my favorite theologians, a guy named N.T. Wright, says it this way, that a sense of justice comes with the kit of being human. I didn't have to teach my daughter fair. We just inherently feel this sense of what's right and what's wrong or this sense of justice. And so maybe this season, when you look at your circumstances, not just in the world out there, but in your world, right, in here, maybe you're asking the question, is it really possible with everything I have going on that I could experience peace this Christmas season Is it really possible for things to be set right and is it possible for things to be the way that they ought to be? What I hope we can discover together today, again, by looking at a promise that was made in the past that was fulfilled and is still fulfilled in Jesus, what I hope you can see today is that God actually offers us a peace that is greater than just the absence of fighting. See, all those photos from World War II, they were celebrating the end of a conflict. They were celebrating the end of fighting, but God actually offers us a peace that's greater than than just the absence of fighting. So again, the series today, it's called BC. It stands for before Christmas. I know that's not what it actually stands for, okay? So you don't have to email me about it. We're just being a little clever and a little creative. But uh, we're looking at the Old Testament, which tells the story of the people of God before Jesus came on the scene. And and there was this era recorded in the Old Testament known as the era of kings or the time of kings where God uh, had these rulers over Israel who were kings in place. and, And God would send prophets to speak to the rulers and speak to the leaders on his behalf. And these prophets showed up And they would speak very specific messages to the rulers at that time about their situation. These are guys you may have heard of before with names like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Malachi. And today we're going to talk about the prophet Micah. And so Micah uh, shows up on the scene. He's a prophet. And a lot of things might pop into your mind when you hear the word prophet. Um, For some of us, I think we think of an image kind of like this, right? Like the clapboard sign and the end is near (laughs) and all that. That's not really what I'm talking about when I talk about a prophet. I don't think that was the general aesthetic of Micah or anything like that. Uh, but rather, if we needed to define what a prophet is, a prophet was simply a messenger from God who had a message from God. He, he was a messenger from God who had a message from God. And, and in fact, the Hebrew word for prophet, if we translate it into English, it literally means to see. Because the prophets were people who were often seeing the things happening among God's people that nobody else wanted to talk about. They were the ones who would highlight what was happening. And so often uh, their messages were not well-received because they were talking about the things that you're not supposed to talk about. And, And sometimes they would offer messages of hope that God was gonna show up, that God was gonna save the day. Sometimes they would offer promises like we're gonna look at today. More often than not, they offered warnings. Sometimes they even offered judgments back. But you would think that like, because these people were messengers from God with a message from God, that people would actually listen to them. But time and time again, kings and rulers of their time ignored the prophets and ignored their message. And so uh, at the moment we're going to look at in the story, uh, it was after the rule of King Solomon, who was a great king in Israel. But after his rule, the kingdom of Israel is actually split into two. Uh, I think we've got a map of it here. Yeah, it was split in half. So the kingdom of Israel was to the north, and then the kingdom of Judah was to the south. And there was this big split. Uh, What happens is northern Israel at this time was captured by the Assyrians, and southern Israel, or Judah, was conquered by the Babylonians. And so for those people, it's like we were talking about at the beginning. Everything in their world was turned upside down. Everything that they knew was turned upside down. They were captured, they were oppressed. They had to learn this new way of being in the world and their circumstances were anything but peaceful. And in the midst of this chaos, the prophet Micah shows up. And just to be cute today, since it's Christmas season, I found (laughs) a night before Christmas Micah recap, okay? So I'm going to read this for you. It's going to make it cute because it's actually kind of intense if you just read through it. But it says, It was 1,000 years before Christmas around 930 B.C. Israel split into two kingdoms led mostly by bad kings. So God sent the prophets to speak words that were true, but nobody listened, and the kingdoms fell through. On Assyrians, on Babylonians, the prophet Micah could see that the world was a mess and the people weren't free. He said to the king and to the people alike, You must follow God and do what's right. Micah saw that the war would not seem cease. And even with all that, he gave a promise of peace. That's just free, okay? We're just trying to make it a little cuter today, a little Christmassy today. But the point is Micah saw this conflict, right? He saw the northern kingdom actually already collapse. The Assyrians had moved in and had conquered them. And at the time that he brings this message from God, he knows the same thing's gonna happen to the south. It's not looking good. The Babylonians are ready to invade. And so in the midst of that, Micah shows up. And even in the midst of that circumstance, in the midst of that chaos, Micah offers a promise of peace. Here's what he says. It's recorded in Micah chapter 5. He says, Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. Maybe, like, this is a weird Christmas message, Eric. We're going to get there. Okay, because he goes on. And he says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are of old, from ancient times. So in the midst of the chaos, God makes a promise through Micah. God makes this promise. He says, I'm going to raise somebody up, and I'm going to raise them up in a context that is so small and is so insignificant, they aren't even listed among the clans of Judah or or the clans or tribes of Israel. I'm going to bring somebody up from this insignificant place, it's kind of like if I ever travel even to Indianapolis or if I'm out of the state or something and people ask me where I'm from, I'll say Peru because we gotta get our name out there, right? But they're always like, oh yeah, where's that? And I have to say, like, well, it's a half hour north of Kokomo or more often than not, like an hour from Indy or an hour from Fort Wayne. Because for a lot of people, we're not really on the map, right? It's their loss, but like we, we have to describe it in that way. That's kind of like saying, I'm gonna raise up someone from Bethlehem. They're like, where, who? And I think it's powerful because in this promise, God shows that he is always showing up and choosing the most surprising places and the most unassuming people to be a part of his extraordinary story. He is always choosing the least likely people to do incredible things. And so this promise goes on and Micah says, "'Therefore, Israel will be abandoned "'until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, "'and the rest of his brothers "'will return to join the Israelites. "'He will stand and shepherd his flock "'in the strength of the Lord.'" in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. Right, there it is. There's the promise. In the middle of the chaos, Micah the prophet shows up, and he promises that, that a woman is going to go into labor, that God is going to raise somebody up, and this baby is going to be born, and eventually he would become someone who would bring peace and even become our peace. And I don't know what you think about when you hear the word peace. For me, on Sundays, you're great, and I love hanging out. Okay, but peace shows up either in the afternoon when I'm taking that Sunday nap or in the evening, like we get back from students, and I'm like, whew, because this is like the end of my week, right? So it's that brief little window where it's like last week's done, next week hasn't started. <sighs> Right? It can take a breath. Uh, maybe it looks like sitting by a fireplace this season, something warm and cozy, maybe it's taking a nap. Uh, maybe it's more something going on in your inner world that you're longing for this season. Right? Maybe peace looks like that relational conflict that just keeps showing up being gone. It looks like the tension being resolved. I think for most of us, when we think about what peace might look like in our lives, we think about peace as the absence of conflict. If the conflict just goes away, then we're at peace. But the word that Micah is promising here to God's people, the word that he promises us today, it's so much bigger than that because the word that we translate as peace is the word shalom. And we've talked about shalom before around here. It's kind of a big concept uh, throughout God's story. But shalom is such a bigger concept than just the absence of conflict. Shalom means wholeness. It means completeness. It means fullness. Shalom is this picture of the world being made right, the world being as it was intended to be. And, and sometimes when we think about peace, right, we just want peace and quiet, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Again, I've got a little one around my house, so like I get it, if that's you. But throughout the scriptures, this promise of peace that God offers, shalom is so much bigger than that. It, it's so much bigger than just taking a breath. It's so much bigger than just the absence of conflict. But rather, like, it's more than just this positive state between me and God in my soul, or this private transaction that I've made, right, to make me okay with God. And it's, it's so much more, the longing for God's shalom includes those things, okay, it includes us having peace with God. But for the Jewish believers that were hearing this promise from Micah, peace was bigger and broader, because shalom didn't just mean inner peace or spiritual peace, it meant wholeness and completeness throughout the entire creation. It meant the end of injustice It meant that the rich would no longer devour the poor. It meant that brokenness, wherever it was found, would be set right and it would be healed. It meant that people would actually love one another. That shalom would embrace all of creation, including like plants and animals and the earth itself. It was this picture of everything being made right. Or as my daughter's storybook Bible says, it was this picture of everything sad being made untrue. It was this beautiful picture. And so in the middle of this chaos, right, in the middle of this war-torn country, split in two, being conquered, the prophet shows up and says, God is going to show up and bring someone who will make things right. And so Micah knew of God's promise. He shared God's promise with God's people at that time. But Micah never lived to see the promise realized. Micah never lived to see who this person of peace who was going to show up would be. And lucky us, we live on the other side of the story, We're talking about before Christmas, but we live after Christmas. And so we can connect the dots between what Micah, or God through Micah, promised and what we can experience. Because at Christmas, we learn that this person of peace comes from this little backwoods town called Bethlehem. And here's how Luke records it Luke said So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, there was a census being taken who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Can't you just like kind of hear away in a manger about the da 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 Because many of us know this story, right? Many of us expect to hear this story around this time of the year, and, and that's a good thing. But here's something I don't want us to miss. From the time that Micah made the promise that there would be a person of peace and the arrival of Jesus into the world, there's about 700 years. There's this 700-year gap when we just flip the page from Micah to Luke and we read about Jesus' story. We're covering 700 years of people wondering if the promise would ever actually be fulfilled. In fact, I mean, forget about Micah to Jesus. Even if you just go Old Testament to New Testament, there's 400 years of God's silence represented between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God just stops talking, (laughs) and people don't know what it means. They're like, so is he going to do it? Is he not? Are we just stuck here? Like, what's happening? Maybe you can relate to that feeling. And I think that dynamic begs the question, like, why did God do that? Why did God make them wait so long? Why did God mysteriously go silent? And to that question, I would give you the deep theological answer. I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea why God chose to, to do that, or why God sometimes does that in our lives. Like, if you're in a season right now where you feel like God's silent, it, it, I get it, because it happens sometimes, and it's so hard to understand. And I think we have to be careful to not give easy answers to difficult situations and difficult circumstances. But, but what I do know is we're eventually told that the fulfillment of this prophet, uh, the fulfillment of this promise of peace happens in Bethlehem at Jesus' birth. And as maybe you can imagine, this baby is born, he starts to grow, and people wondered, right? Like the details kind of lined up, and they wondered, could this really be this promised Messiah, this promised person of peace? And yet a lot of people doubted that Jesus was actually the fulfillment of this promise, because if they looked around the world when Jesus was alive, there was still a lot of conflict. It didn't exactly look like peace, I mean, if you really want to get in the nitty-gritty of the Christmas story, it's like Jesus is born, and then Herod goes off and commits this terrible genocide, like one chapter later. It's nothing like peace on earth in that moment. And the people of God, they were still under Rome's boot. And there was still sickness and illness. And Jesus, even as he grew to be a man, he had no army. He had no authority. He didn't look like somebody who was going to bring in some new kind of kingdom. It begs the question, how can Jesus really be the peace that the people were waiting for? And the answer is because Jesus brings a peace that's different than the peace that we often think of. Jesus brings a peace that's better than just the absence of conflict. Jesus shows up and Jesus brings shalom. Jesus brings fullness. Jesus brings healing. And and so here's the thing. I think for many of us this season, we probably don't need like some massive military peace that's gonna come in and set everything right. I mean, I guess that would be nice on one level, but for most of us, we're a little more down to earth than that, right? We're a little more like just trying to make it day in and day out. And and while you may not need some kind of like military peace and maybe don't even need the absence of conflict, I think all of us could use a little more shalom this season, a little more of a sense of of wholeness and fullness and completion. And and so it begs the question, if Jesus brings this peace into the world at his birth and into our lives in this moment, what does that really look like for us? So with the rest of our time, I'm going to just run through four different ways that we can actually experience peace in and through and with Jesus. And I'm going to make you do a little bit of hand motions with me, okay, just to keep you awake and tracking with me. So you on board? Okay, so the first kind of peace that I think we can experience is positional peace. So everybody grab your pointer finger and just point up awesome. I can tell who's sleeping now. Uh, no, <laughs> positional peace. Like Theologically, right? we probably know God's not like literally up there, wherever up there is, but often we think of it in those terms. So positional peace means that Jesus brings us peace with God, that we can have peace in our relationship with God. And there's all kinds of reasons that we may or may not have peace with God. Uh, more often than not, it's described throughout scripture with the word sin, right? brokenness, stuff that gets in the way between the way God intended our lives and the world to work, things that fracture our relationship with him. But the Apostle Paul, who planted churches all throughout the first century, uh, wrote it in this way when he wrote to the church in Rome. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we can stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. There's a translation of the Bible. Uh, It's called The Voice. It came out, I don't know, maybe like 10 years ago. Uh, It's just kind of like a creative retelling. They had artists and theologians and pastors come together and kind of work on this translation. But I love the way uh, that they describe this verse. It actually says that we can have true and lasting peace with God. We can have true and lasting peace. In other words, I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but for me, I grew up in church. So I was kind of around church culture my whole life. I've told you before. My parents were my Sunday school teachers every year, and I thought I was going to graduate, and then they would like move up with me, and on and on we went. Uh, but I heard about sin, right? And I heard about following Jesus, and I heard about trusting Him. And I remember there was this moment uh, in my story. I was probably I don't know middle school age, I think, maybe just about into high school, where I was around church a lot. Again, I was there with my family. Uh, I had some friends who went to a youth group at a Baptist church, so I went to the Baptist church sometimes. And I remember there was this little stretch where I think I got saved like five times in the same week, right? Because I would go to this service, and they would play the ooh music, right? And I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I am a there. And I would pray the prayer, and then I'd probably do something wrong the next day. And, and so then I'd go to the next thing, and it's ooh, right? There's that moment, and I'm like, yes, Lord, and I'd do it again. I remember there was I was at the Baptist church. I, like, walked down the aisle just as I am and that whole thing. And I can remember they took me to the bathroom and they are like, okay, now your next step is to get baptized. And I'm like, oh, I haven't talked to my parents. <laughs> like, my mom's going to feel weird about this whole situation. So anyway, it was this thing where I was stuck in this dynamic, and maybe you've been here before, where it, fe- where it still kind of felt like I had to get it right. right? It felt like I had to pray the prayer, and then when I messed up, I'm like, ooh, better pray it again. <laughs> right? uh, or, oop, better like double down on some more Jesus in my life because it clearly didn't work the first time. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying you don't have to do all of that. That through Jesus, you can have peace with God, true and lasting peace with God. That means no matter what you have done and no matter what you will do, you are forgiven and you're given a new identity and that you can live your life in relationship with your heavenly father. Peace with God is possible and we do nothing to earn it. All we do is receive it like a gift. And maybe that's what you need this season. Maybe you've never actually taken that step, but we're not going to play the woo-woo music or anything like that. But we would love to help you take that step. And so if you're interested, stop by the green tent afterwards, and I'd love to have a conversation with you about what that could look like. So we can have peace, positional peace with God. Now, everybody get that pointer finger ready, because the second kind of peace is right here. You can have internal peace, peace within yourself. And in some ways, I think this is a kind of peace that might be harder to believe than peace with God. We can kind of understand like, okay, God forgives me and maybe my future is secure in heaven and that kind of stuff. Like we can can wrap our heads around that a little bit or at least like we delay it. We're like, I believe it, I'll find out later. But being okay with ourselves, that's often so much more difficult because that's right here and that's right now. It's a piece that's sometimes harder to experience, but it is the life that Jesus wants for us. In fact, when Jesus was about to leave this earth, uh, his follower John records that he said this, he said, peace, I leave with you. It's my peace that I give you, and I don't give it to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Again, that the voice translation of scripture, I love the way they say this one too, uh, that first line where Jesus says, peace, I leave with you. In the voice translation, he says, peace is my legacy. Isn't that a cool thought? Peace is the legacy that we get to live in on the other side of Jesus' arrival and Jesus' work, on this earth, and it's a peace that looks different than the peace we're tempted to pursue, right? Because we try all kinds of things to be at peace with ourselves, and some of them are great things, useful tools, like therapy, or if necessary, medicines, or like all kinds of different things, and if you're like doing that, and you need that, please don't think that's any less spiritual than praying or any of that kind of stuff. Like God gave it all to us uh, to have us use it, but this peace that Jesus gives to us, it's not about anything that we do. Instead, it's more of a posture In our heart, it's a posture where we can understand that, like, Jesus has it and Jesus has us. So, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through, one, we're not alone in the midst of it. And two, we're secure, we're safe in Him. And this is peace that's not just like peace someday when I get to heaven. I think oftentimes we think in those terms, right? We're like, okay, I can have peace with God and someday I will be made whole. And that's certainly true. That's uh, certainly a promise that we have to look forward to. But the peace Jesus is leaving to us, it's a legacy that's meant to live, be lived out right here and right now. It's a peace that we can have access to right now. And so this season, if you feel overwhelmed and underwater and just overcome by all the expectations that come this time of the year or, or whatever it may be for you, if, if you feel like you're just running like crazy, Jesus is offering you peace. Jesus is saying, hey, wait, 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 wait. I have this legacy to give you, and it's peace within. So we can have peace with God. We can have peace within ourselves. And then we're going to spend a little bit of extra time here on this third kind of peace. So grab that pointer finger and just point to somebody else, okay, anybody you want. We can have communal peace. We can have peace with others, right, peace in our community. And, And this is so powerful when it's lived out and I think so difficult for us to get right because we're all messed up, broken people, including me. But when we get this right, if and when we really function like the body of Christ, as the Apostle Paul often referred to us, it means we should look and we should function differently than any other community. It means we should look different than the rest of the world around us if we actually are living out the peace of God at work in our lives. And again, here's how Paul said it uh, to the church in Colossa. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called peace, and be thankful. Paul loves to use this metaphor of the body to try and illustrate what the church community is supposed to look like, the way that we're supposed to love and treat one another. And the idea is basically like, if you leaned on a hot stove, your eye would not look at your hand and go, "Mm, not my problem, right? If you lean on a hot stove, your entire body would go, ah, right? Like, do something about it. Get that thing off of there because the body cares for caring for the rest of the body, If there's something hurting in the body, it's the whole body's problem. It's the whole body's thing to try and fix. And that's what Paul is basically getting at. And so when there's conflict and when there's crazy and when there's chaos and there's circumstances going on in our lives, Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And what he's saying there, that idea of the peace of Christ ruling, uh, it's actually an athletic term in the original language. It's kind of like an umpire. It's let the peace of Christ call the shots in your life. And what that means for us, again, is if Jesus is calling the shots, we can be okay. We can be okay even when we don't feel okay. We can be okay even when life is chaotic. And to illustrate what I mean, um, we're going to take it in a weird direction, okay? But I think it'll be clear by the end. Uh, There was this guy, his name's Phil Wellman, and uh, he was the manager in 2007 for the Mississippi Braves uh, minor league baseball team. And he had a bad day uh, one time during a game. And we've got some footage of it. And I think I pulled the audio off of this. But if I didn't, Wes, be ready to pull it down because it's going to feel all wonky. <laughs> I don't think he says anything bad, but it'll just be unpleasant. So check this out. Here's Phil. Phil's not happy. Okay, and sorry for the quality. This is the best I could find. He's yelling at the umpire, clearly does not like the call, and then he takes it to the next level. <laughs> so Phil, yep, he's, he's going to cover up home plate here. He's just making a point. He's actually, got, yep, make his, make sure it's all covered. He's losing it a little bit. He's going to draw his own home plate around it <laughs> right here. Yep, there he goes. A little bigger. So I assume that was the call. I don't know. But Phil's not having a good time. Uh, he's yelling a little more here. Goes over. Yep, that's mine. I'm taking it <laughs> eventually. Yep, okay. That's, com- that's mine now. I'm going home. <laughs> this next one is my favorite. Look at that crawl. Like, this is all just during the game. This is happening. And Phil's losing it. He's going to grab that. Yep, whoop, here we go. Boo! Right at the ump's feet. (laughs) 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 That's so good. And so, like, eventually he's walking off. I think he decides he's going to take another souvenir here (laughs) on his way out. Yep, give it a little kick there. Walking out. He's out. I cut it a little too early here, but at the end of this clip, he's walking off the field. Yeah, takes another one. Why not? He gets to the gate, and he turns, and he does the Richard (laughs) Nixon-like. I'm out, and walks off. So why in the world did I show you that video? (laughs) It's because Phil was having a bad day that moment, right? (laughs) He was having a tough time. And isn't it true that sometimes we do that too, when life is a mess? I mean, maybe it's just me, but sometimes I, whether it's like literal temper tantrum, or whether it's just the recklessness of the words that I say, or whether it's just like the emotional temperature of what's going on inside of me, I've got a little more fill in me than I'd like to acknowledge, right? We probably all have been in a situation or a season in life where we wanted to do that. We're like, it's not fair, I don't like it, I can't control it and I just wanna rip it all to shreds and I wanna blow up and we have our temper tantrum. And that's okay, it, it, to some degree, right? I mean, don't do that during a game, but <laughs> it, it's okay to some degree to have those moments. But guess what happened for Phil? Even though he was ranting and raving and throwing his fit, the umpire's call still stands right? That's what Paul's getting at. That life might feel like it's a mess, and you might be throwing a fit, and you might be complaining about it, and you might just want to throw things and lose your temper, but the peace of Christ can rule in your heart where the umpire's call, where Jesus' call still stands, that you actually can be at peace with other people, even if you don't feel peaceful on the inside. I was thinking about uh, this in my life, and there was this moment um, right when Eden was born. It was 2018 when my daughter was born. And her delivery and everything went really smooth. It, my first and only child, so I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, this is chaotic. Uh, and I can remember we made it back to the room. It was probably just a couple of hours in. We're trying to figure out, like, okay, there's a human now that I'm responsible for. How do I do that? And we were just adjusting to all of it. And then all of a sudden this nurse uh, walks into the room and just go, hey, we've seen a couple of things we're concerned about. So we're gonna need to take her for a little bit and we'll bring her back, okay? And that's like all I got, <laughs> and okay. So they take my like hours old little girl and wheel her out, no explanation, and all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I'm feeling like Phil, okay? <laughs> like, I'm like, what just happened? In fact, this is a sidebar, but at the hospital for some reason they were having issues with their like security door in the maternity wing. <laughs> so like the alarm starts going off and I'm like, Okay, I think that was a nurse, but did she have a badge? Like, did somebody just steal my baby? Like, all these things are going on in my head, and and I'm, like, losing it and unraveling on some level. But at the same time, I was able to pause, right? And, And I was able, not perfectly. I mean, trust me, I was not great in that moment. But I made it through because I understood that there was this peace that was beyond my ability, right? This peace that says, you know what? Jesus is still in control, That Jesus is still calling the shots, even if I don't know what's happening, and even if I don't understand it. And and so to wrap that story up, Eden was fine. It was just like a couple of hours. She went down there, and they brought her back, and all is well. But the point that Paul's getting at is we can let the peace of Christ be something that we don't just know intellectually, that we don't just agree with theologically, but it can be something that rules in our hearts. It can be something that actually shapes the way we interact with one another. So I'm gonna like rapid fire hang out here a little bit longer and give us a couple of pointers on how we can do this well because I think it's difficult for us if we're honest, uh, especially in our current cultural climate. And and so how do we actually live in peace within our community? How do we actually live at peace with one another? I'd say thing number one is we have to learn how to deal with conflict early. And all of the aggressive people in the room are like, yeah, but I'm not going there, okay? (laughs) Deal with conflict early. Proverbs says it in this way. Proverbs says starting a quarrel is like opening a floodgate. So stop before a dispute breaks out. In in other words, like when conflict shows up, you don't know how big it's going to get, right? So just stop it before it gets any bigger. Deal with it early. That doesn't mean go blow up on people. That means address it before you feel the need to want to blow up on people. Like how much quieter would Facebook be if that were the rule? (laughs) Or, Or Paul puts it this way. He says, be angry and do not sin. I love this verse because it means that's possible. A, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. How many of us, right, in what you're experiencing, are you like, I may have gone to bed a little angry. Some of us are like last night, right? (laughs) It's why I'm here, actually. I need to work on it. But what Paul is saying, what Proverbs is advising us, is that we have to deal with conflict early. Don't just sit there and stew on it and let it grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger. Don't go to all your friends and talk about, can you believe that they and how could she? But instead, face it with the person that you're having the conflict with before it grows and becomes bigger. So that's thing number one. We've got to deal with conflict early. Uh, Thing number two is we've got to learn how to practice restraint. James, uh, Jesus's brother, says it this way. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I talk about this verse all the time anymore because we are all so bad at this, me included. Okay, like I feel a little convicted by the things that I'm even saying today, <laughs> but we should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Can you imagine how differently your last conflict would have gone if you had been quicker to listen and slower to speak, and slower to get angry. It's this idea of us learning to listen to each other, to understand, not just to respond. It's not just waiting to talk, but actually understanding one another, actually being slower to speak. And and then one final piece of advice, if we want to have peace with one another, I would just say it this way, that you got to prepare for a long journey. That peace with other people, it's not like a one and done kind of thing. Peter, who also followed Jesus, says this to the church in one of the letters he wrote. He says that they must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. It's not like this thing that once you have it, you just hold on to it. It's an ongoing pursuit. It's an ongoing thing we have to work on to live in peace with one another. And I think like, if you're in the midst of relational chaos right now this season, I think all of us are tempted to want or say we want breakthroughs in our relationships when really what we want are shortcuts. We want breakthroughs, we want things to be changed, but really we just want it to go away. We, We really want it to stop, but the truth is peace takes a long time. It may be just a daily journey where you work on it a little more. You work on that slow to speak thing and that slow to get angry thing, and over time you realize, oh my gosh, the dynamic changed. But the point is we can have peace with God we can have peace with ourselves we can have peace with other people and then the last kind of peace i want to remind us of today that we can find in jesus that we're actually called to carry for jesus is what i would call a missional peace and just point like out there wherever out there is yeah this is the calling on our lives if we're followers of jesus to not just keep all this stuff we're talking about to ourselves to not just have my peace with god and my peace with myself and my christian friends and we all hang out and we do christian things we have a mission to carry There is a world that's in desperate need of the kind of peace that only Jesus offers. And we're called, we are blessed to go bless other people. That's always been the story. That's always been the invitation. And so our call is to bring the peace of Christ outward to a world that desperately needs us. Jesus talked about this in his most famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the things he said was, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. And notice he said peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Sometimes we want to be peacekeepers when we want to like, get rid of the conflict or avoid the conflict at all costs. This is where like, just being a Christian nice person shows up. We're like, bless your heart. Mm-hmm. And like, inside there's really all this judgment going on. It's not about not rocking the boat. But being like, a person who experiences this outward-focused peace, being a peacemaker, it means that we're called to pursue justice. That not only is God making everything right, but he may want to make everything right by using us. He wants to do it in and through us. And again, N.T. Wright, uh, that theologian has really shaped my thinking a lot, nailed this. He says it this way, that people who believe in the resurrection, in God making a whole new world in which everything will be set right at last, are unstoppably motivated to work for that new world in the present. See, it's not, I'm going to pray the prayer so that I go to heaven when I die. That's part of it, okay? But it's also about being resurrection people right here and right now. It's about bringing shalom into our world right here and right now. When the rest of the world wants to see brokenness and pain and just wallow in it, we see a Jesus who can bring healing and wholeness. And it's our job to carry him everywhere that we go. The world needs peace, but not like the world gives it. The world needs peace like only Jesus can give. And Micah predicted it, And Jesus fulfills it. We can have peace with God. We can have peace within. We can have peace with one another, and we're called to take that peace to everyone we meet. I want to wrap up just by reading this quote uh, by an author named Henry Nowen, who talks about this incredible calling on our lives, but he talks about this beautiful vision of bringing God's kingdom to bear in our lives in such incredibly ordinary ways. He says, The marvelous vision of the peaceable kingdom in which all violence has been overcome, and all men, women, and children live in loving unity with nature calls for its realization in our day-to-day lives. That's what we were just saying, that this call for peace, this call for God's kingdom to show up on earth, it's a right-here, right-now call. Instead of being an escapist dream, it challenges us to anticipate what it promises. Every time we forgive our neighbor, every time we make a child smile, every time we show compassion to a suffering person, every time we arrange a bouquet of flowers, offer to care tame wild animals, prevent pollution, create beauty in our homes and gardens, and work for peace and justice among peoples and nations, we are making the vision come true. We must remind one another constantly of the vision. Whenever it comes alive in us, we will find new energy to live it out right where we are instead of making us escape real life this beautiful vision gets us involved. Maybe this season, that's how God wants to like prepare your heart for Christmas. He wants you to be a person who experiences peace with him, who experiences peace within, who has peace with other people, but who also carries that peace to a world in desperate need of it. And don't just pray that God would do it, but instead understand that he wants to do it in and through you and in and through me. So to wrap up, um, I didn't mention this earlier, but one of the great opportunities that you can do is a simple invite card like this for our Christmas experiences. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying like, that hour is gonna be the end all be all in somebody's life. I don't know that, okay? It may just be a nice experience for them. Who knows, but I think it could be. It could be the the invitation that helps that person that you know who's close to you but far from God actually experience this peace that we're talking about. Actually understand that it's possible for them. And maybe all they need is your courage To say, hey, will you sit with me for Christmas at Story Church? I think you'll like it. And and so on your way out, grab some of these, okay? And and we've got just a couple weeks here. Pass them out like crazy. Be bold in your invitations. And together, let's become people who let the peace of God, which is realized in Jesus, rule in our hearts and be the overflow of our lives. Let me pray for you. Jesus, uh, this is (laughs) as often as the case. It's easy to agree with. It's harder to live out. And so I just pray that you would help us know what to do with what we've heard, that we could experience peace with you. And if there's somebody in the room who doesn't know that, God, give them the courage to stop by that green tent and ask a question about it. Maybe have a conversation about what it looks like to accept the gift of your peace, of your forgiveness. God, for the person who's struggling with peace within themselves this season, I pray that they could slow their pace, that they could actually let your peace rule in their heart, that they would understand that peace is the legacy you want to give each and every one of us and that we could experience that with you. God, for those of us who have relational conflict with one another, may we be quick to deal with it. May we be slow to speak, quick to listen. And may we understand that sometimes it's a long journey to work towards peace, but help that always be our goal. And God, may we be people who are constantly bringing your shalom, your fullness, your healing, your kingdom to earth right here in Peru, right now, as it will be in heaven. We pray and we ask all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.